Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much to all the parents who wrote in. There were a lot of questions. I tried to lump some of them together to be more effective in in fitting all of this into a couple of episodes. So bear with me on that. It might not target you exactly the way you asked it. Um, But uh, there are a couple of unique questions that came in from one single person who who I also address and I'll I'll speak more specifically to that one. At the end of the podcast episode, I would strongly encourage you to check out the show notes because I am going to pepper that with all the related resources that hit the multiple topics that we're talking about in these Ask Me Anything episodes. So both for this one and the other uh, Ask Me Anything episode, check out the show notes and uh, click on the links and it will take you to some great places to help support you if you want some further reading or some courses around that or... um, other podcasts I recommend, things like that. Okay. All right, here we go. Question number one. Okay. This question is about apologizing, teaching our kids to apologize. And so the question that came to me was really around, is that a good practice to force apologies? Do we force our kids to apologize? They've had a fight with a peer or a sibling or with us. And um, it's the, it's, it's an interesting question. So I've struggled this one with this one myself, because I think right from the get go, um, we come up with these values as parents, or we just have our own values, right? And then we try and impart those, um, when we're raising our kids. And one of the things that I've always wanted for my kids is to own responsibility for how they have made an impact on other people or how we can collectively shape our experience in relationship that we have a role in that. Um, And I, and if we have wounded or hurt somebody that I want my kid to be able to say, not with shame, but with responsibility and accountability, be able to say, I'm so sorry. I did that, or I'm sorry that that happened. And, um, and be able to repair those relationships through that mechanism. And, um, at the same time, I've found myself questioning the authenticity when my kids are still so mad at one another. And I say, you, you know, well, this really hurt them. You need to go and apologize to your sister. And I watch that exchange and I think, I'm not really sure how much that was valuable. Yeah, they said the words, but uh, they don't really mean it Um, or they weren't ready. Or my worry sometimes is that they'll never be ready, that they won't actually end up feeling the sorry feeling. And that triggers something in me like, oh, no, they're not building empathy and they don't care enough about uh, their sibling. And uh, so I think this is a great question. Is it good or bad practice to force our kids to apologize? So I don't know actually the answer if it's really good or not, but I have a sense of the preferred method, right? That whenever possible, 
the goal is for that to actually breed something authentic and genuine and from in an internal place. So the, the piece about forcing, I think that's, um, maybe inherently like in the background of that, that's good is this belief that we want to model and expect of our kids that they own up to their piece and reconnect with the person they've hurt. Um, as a value, I think that is a beautiful thing. Um, the forcing piece I think is where we maybe need to, um, think about this on the continuum and the, the forcing is one extreme version and, um, the, the authentic version where we just kind of, I mean, ideally we would not even have to prompt this and we wish that our kids would just voluntarily do this because they feel compelled. Right. Um, but because we know that our kids aren't fully developed and even us as adults sometimes struggle with this one, um, we want them to rehearse and have opportunities to practice and we want to put them in that space to be able to do that well. And having that expectation and, and saying as an authoritative kind of adult, listen, this needs to happen, I think is the attempt there is to try and get our kids into the practice of being able to do this comfortably. Um, so where I think the sweet spot is, is in the middle. Maybe not feeling so urgent about it has to happen right now, but having the stamina as parents to follow up with our kids more slowly so that we give them more opportunities to say sorry when they are ready genuinely to say sorry. And that instead of demanding, we invite them. So we can still display our expectation by having conversations around inviting our kids to apologize. So instead of saying, listen, what comes next is you're going to march into that room and you're going to say sorry for what you did. Um, that's one end of the continuum. If we land ourselves more in an invitation position, I think as parents, we have the opportunity to say, oh, I think this is my read on what happened and how it impacted. You know, that was a pretty heated argument. And I think what happened for your sister or for your friend was that, um, that, that, that hurt them or the word you used may have hurt them or the way that came across hurt them. And, um, I wonder if you felt like that had been done to you, if somebody used those words with you, how you might feel and, that I maybe, maybe you didn't really mean them. Maybe you were really angry in the moment. And now that we're calming down, um, I'm wondering what you think would help them heal from that or would help them feel reconnected with you. Cause I think maybe they're feeling kind of like you're not friends anymore. Um, and I know that, you know, every friendship has bumps and bruises and goes up and down. And so it's okay that this happened. Um, but you're also going to have to make some effort to reconnect. So what do you think we could say, or what do you think you'd like to say to your friend, uh, when you feel ready and those get kids thinking internally rather than what do you as a parent expect of me to do in this situation? So do I think that that can always happen? Probably not. Um, I also don't think that everything has to happen 10 out of 10 times for it to set a pattern or a habit or an expectation. So it's okay once in a while to let these things go, choose your battles. Um, 
for the sake of the bigger picture and what you're trying to model for your kids. So I'm going to leave it at that, but I have uh, lots of experience in this where myself have struggled to know, is this one of those times where I have to just put my foot down and say, listen, that person needs to hear this from you, whether or not you're ready to say it. But at the end of the day, I think we all know if somebody is inauthentically saying the words, and I don't know how much benefit the sibling or the friend has from hearing something that's been forced. So um, let's give some thought to kind of the both sides of the story there and, and what we're really trying to accomplish with it. Okay, I got a fantastic question from a mom who is concerned around how to best blend their family. So she has a couple of kids from a previous relationship and um, is blended. Her new partner has also um, a couple of kids who come from a previous uh, relationship as well. Both have another parent in still in the picture. And so there are four parents who are attempting to collaborate and um, work through all the, the messiness of trying to blend or even just on a practical level. So things like scheduling and who goes where at what time and who adjusts in what way and what do they need from us and how do we how do we help them transition back into new sets of rules different homes all, all of that jazz um, but the question really was around how to facilitate really effective good connection and bonding with the step parent and I'm going to add the layer here about how to help nurture the bond between kids. So when, let's first talk about the kids piece. So when kids come together in a new family structure and they have a history of not having other kids in that family structure, the adjustment alone is super challenging. Uh, Something that can happen is a jostling of their birth order, right? And so uh, all of a sudden the age the age thing might mess things up where I'm no longer the oldest, but I have been for five or six years, or I'm no longer the middle child. Um, And it's a, it's tricky because we might think that that doesn't play a huge role. And so we might think, well, that's not a big deal, the order, but actually it is because after years of patterns formed in families, we have learned about our rules about who gets to be uh, first to do things, who's most responsible, who's in charge, who can um, help a younger sibling. Um, And for the youngest, do they get the primary attention? Do they get a lot of the cooing and ooing and aahing over? Or has that role been trumped because there's now a younger child in the family? And does that bring around jealousy, um, insecurity about who am I now in this family? So paying attention to how, from our kids' angle, view of the world, what has that been like for them, right? And what upheaval has happened? And sometimes we get really bogged down with the negatives of this, the worry around it and how are kids going to manage. And I'm not suggesting this is their whole story. This is just one aspect because there's so many good things that come with blending families. We now have more kids to play with. We have more siblings to share clothes with. We have, you know, kind of like a um, a built-in larger social system. But like any larger social system that is new, we have to work out 
our dynamics. That can take years and years and years. And so being patient is really critical. Um, looking for opportunities to see how kids and, and really praise them for this. When you witness good interaction, to highlight that. To say, I really love how the two of you sat down and played game. It might feel really weird, like you're pointing out the obvious, but kids soak up that feedback and it it sends a message that you notice when things are going well and the effort they're putting in. Um, and witnessing that can be pretty pretty powerful for a kid. Uh, you might see some competition, some jealousy about the arrangements with another family's children. So if there's a couple of kids in the family who have a different kind of system where when they're at the other um, parent's home, they receive different things or they do different things or their experience is different. And then those kids come back into the blended home and they report all the crazy awesome things they did or whatever's happened or the hardships that have happened and their experience, their lived experience is very different from the two kids that um, have a different set of parents. And the the storytelling um, about how unique that they don't always share everything can be unsettling for kids too. And how to have conversations about the hardness that, the, that can come from that, that that isn't necessarily fixable but we can acknowledge it and we can name what's in the room and help them deal with the feeling that comes very naturally out of that space. In terms of bonding with the step parent, um, this is, I'm seeing this a lot where when the relationship between the parents are is new, they're very attentive and careful around not presuming a parental role in the role of their new stepkids' lives, that they are just another present adult maybe, but they're not going to be doing any of the discipline, any of the rule setting, any of the follow-up, any of the, you know, that classic parent stuff. Um, what I would say, though, is that there's a whole other realm of options to be a classic parent, which is the nurturer. So where your, are your opportunities to foster intentional connection? How do you notice what's important to your stepkids? How do you join them in things? How do you take seize opportunities um, to, to connect at a one-on-one -on -one level? And it isn't to say I am now the new trumping parent. It is to say I am another caring adult in your world that is deeply connected to you or wants to be deeply connected to you. And so how to go about that is a conversation the two of you can have about how do we do that for one another's children and how as a partner can I support you in making that happen and creating space for you to have that bond form. And that does not need to wait until you've been married for a year or connected for two years or whatever it is. That can start right from the get-go. Um, it is natural for your kids to have some 
potential pushback if they perceive it coming from the direction of they're taking over or they're be, they're being, you know, they're trying to take over for my dad and he's not my dad. Um, so labeling and naming and understanding what's going to work for each of your kids and how they regard the step parent is, is really important that you do collaboratively, that you work closely with each other as partners and with your kids about what makes sense for them and their emotional needs. Okay. I love this question. This is super common to ask. This parent um, wrote in wondering about their, their, they've got three bio kids and they are waiting to adopt. Um, Potentially at this point, they are matched with um, a set of twins who uh, could be coming into the world at any point. Um, This family writes in as, as a set of parents wondering, do we and can we parent our bio kids in the same way we do our soon to be adopted twins. They are coming to them at birth. And so the question kind of clarified, like we aren't, we, we understand we have to really be mindful about parenting from a unique perspective. If there's been a lot of trauma in their history, um, and they've been in the, the care system for a long time. But this is a situation where we're curious, are we capable? Is it okay? And is it effective and supportive of all our kids if we parent with the same approach, given that they are um, joining our forever family right from birth? Okay, so what I want to say about this is, again, this is not an uncommon question. It's great to be curious about this because uh, just a decade ago, even, we did not have a whole lot of research around what in utero trauma meant for our kids, what high stress pregnancy meant for our kids' biology um, and neurodevelopment and all that stuff. And so our belief was that once the child was out of the womb, then they were at risk of trauma. And therefore, our perspective on that was if there hasn't been any obvious trauma, then we can approach parenting the same way that we would in any other situation, right? And so at that point, people were aware that if our kids have experienced some kind of attachment trauma or disconnection or or anything like that or harm or um, unstable environment for a chronic period of time, that our kids' nervous systems have had to adapt around that. And it's understandable then that we need to use trauma-informed parenting. We need to be more sensitive and attachment-based and less behavioral-driven, where we're using timeouts or punishment-reward kind of systems that at the time were super popular for parenting. Um, But what we didn't understand very well is that a lot of that disruption, stress, and trauma can occur prior to birth. And inherent in the adoptive experience is a disruption in a felt sense of connectivity to the bio parent who they have bonded with biologically for nine months. And so because babies' bodies are what they connect through, through the needs met, through the nervous system wiring, through the um, 
through the heartbeat, through senses, is that that gets changed after the child is born. And while a child cannot yet speak to that, and, and I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes in, right? Because we can say, but they won't remember. But trauma gets memorized differently than going on a picnic or having a special vacation or what I ate that morning. That type of memory is stored in a different part of the brain and the traumatic memory or disruption and high chronic stress gets stored in our nervous systems and in our brainstem and in our amygdala. And, and that, that core part of our being does not respond um, rationally, right? And so it gets stored differently and we have different responses when that gets poked at. What you can find even if when you adopt at birth is that years down the road, you will find layers and signals and pieces of our child's development that has learned to wrap itself around that early childhood experience, that in utero experience. And therefore, our parenting may not be as effective for those kids if we apply the same kind of rule or mentality that no trauma existed, right? And here's what I would argue that a lot of the parenting approaches for kids who are needing a more sensitive attachment um, driven parenting approach, that is not a wrong approach for our bio kids who have not experienced trauma. Putting connection and relationship and bonding ahead of behavior correction it's actually really healthy. The, the difference is that for kids who haven't experienced trauma, um, their nervous systems can tolerate things like disappointment and change and um, consequences easier. They also have more of a control around building in the, the types of consequences and foreseeing the types of consequences that they want to foster by doing the right behavior. And so there's something there developmentally for our more neurotypical kids or kids who have not experienced trauma that allows them to be parented with a bit of a hybrid approach, right? Where connections, of course, really important, but they can also learn effectively from when I do this, that doesn't happen. And, you know, that, that natural consequence piece um, works for them better. And so uh, really the answer to the question in the end is no, you cannot just presume that because you're adopting infants that they're going to be amenable or, or um, it, it'll be effective for you to parent from a kind of typical parenting approach that you would do with your other kids, unless you're already approaching your bio kids as parents with that lens, um, in which case this will be a, probably an easier transition for you as parents in terms of how you approach your kids. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.com 
thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.